0: For about three weeks, I would come into my office each day and just sit sort of desolately at my desk. And then, actually, we were lucky we had great weather suddenly. And so I decided I was gonna stay home and I was in the garden. And I just started pottering and pootling about. And I've always done a little bit on Instagram. And then I was starting, I thought, oh, I'm gonna sow my tomato plants. or oh, I'm gonna sow my sweet peas. And I thought, oh, I might make a little video of it and put it on Instagram. And it got such engagement and actually, it eventually developed into what we called the Lyset Lives. And they were at 3.30 every Monday to Friday. And I did them, I think March through to September and it absolutely saved me and it's quite hard not to cry talking about it now because actually it meant that I had to go and brush my hair, wax my moustache, put on some proper clothes, go out into the garden and do a bit of what I do, a bit of presenting and a bit of me and it gave me a discipline and a purpose and a bit of sense of having created something each day and it was as absolutely almost life-saving for me because it, it meant I was able to feel that I had a bit of a need and a purpose and lots of people have been amazed. I mean, I get a letter probably every week from people telling me how much they enjoyed it, how entertaining it was, how much help they found it and I always reply saying, well you all helped me as much as I was helping you.
1: Welcome to My Garden, My Life the podcast that inspires you to grow with your garden. I'm Sarah Layton, founder of Growthfully, and my mission is to inspire and support you to enhance your life and mental health by growing your ownership of that precious space outside your home. When we make space in our lives for ourselves, anything is possible. I share conversations with people who inspire me, who have a passion for their garden, plants or flowers which enhances their life, And I do this because I want to inspire you to get out there and give it a go. Gain confidence, make the changes you want to your garden and feel the joy that comes with taking ownership and action out there. Your garden, balcony, window boxes even, can literally change your life. Don't you just love autumn? Even as the days shorten, there is so much to enjoy. The weather's not too hot or cold, the light is beautiful, there are autumn flowering beauties centre stage in the garden. For instance, right now, the hydrangeas are taking on their deepest hues in my garden, the echinacea and sedum are flowering, the grasses are in full elegance, and the circus leaves are beginning to colour up. Today's conversation actually took place several months ago with the wonderful Simon Lysette, florist extraordinaire. Simon is known for his sensational designs and has, throughout his career, created floral wonders, ranging from the flowers for the film Four Weddings and a Funeral, to displays at royal weddings and other high-profile events. His style is sensational, bright and extravagant and blousy. There really is nothing quite like it. Simon and I spoke after lockdown began to ease and had a really moving conversation during which we discussed the challenges he'd faced during lockdown when his business, carefully developed over 25 years, disintegrated suddenly and he found solace and sanctuary in his garden beginning what he called his "licit Lives on Instagram. We discussed Full Bloom the US hit series he recently hosted and judged, which aired on More 4, how it came about via a DM on Instagram, and the challenge of filming whilst managing the fallout of lockdown too. One of Simon's pet topics is the importance of community gardening and the life-changing role nature can play in supporting young people of all backgrounds, helping them to build a future and a career. And we spoke about this too. It was, all in all, a very rich conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. So, hello, Simon. It's so lovely to have you here, and thank you very much for joining me.
0: Sarah, thank you. What an honour. What a privilege to join (laughs) you, and thank you. (laughs)
1: It's very sweet of you to say so. we've been having a chat beforehand. I always I, I can't help referencing our chats beforehand and I've been admiring that wonderful wall on your behind you, your backdrop. Well I'm
0: talking to you from Lyset Towers, which is what I comically call the series of railway arches in South London where my company is based. And so I'm in my office, which has really been neglected because we've had 15 months of inactivity as an event based florist. But it's been lovely to be back in the office, getting it all tidied again, because it does feel as if events are starting to happen again. So if you hear the odd train thunder overhead, please excuse it. We're in our Victorian railway arches.
1: I think that's one is wonderful. They're amazingly atmospheric places. Although where you're actually sitting, what I was was enjoying was the backdrop of wedding photographs. Each bride yes. holding a bouquet.
0: Yeah, I, I collect them, and they are wedding photographs. It started off. I found one in a skip up the road from where my parents lived, and it was a couple who had no children when they died. The house clearance people went in, and it was just found on top of the skip and they're a fascinating social history so the only rule is that one of the couple have to be holding a bouquet but that's my only rule I'm happy to have people I know people I don't know and I can buy a few new ancestors if I see them in a junk shop
1: (laughs) and they're so wonderfully atmospheric it's really really lovely So you have this morning been at the RHS, haven't you, on Hilltop?
0: I have. I am so lucky because I was actually asked at the beginning of the year if I would create an installation within one of the display areas at the new RHS Hilltop project which they are calling the home of gardening science, and it really is the most incredible building. So all their herbarium collection, which is over 400,000 exhibits of pressed and preserved plant material, is on display and there's an open laboratory where people can watch through a window as specimens are prepared. And they asked me to create an installation that would sit on the wall just before the start of that herbarium. And it had to be in preserved plant material because they needed it to last in a glass cabinet in a really bright sunlit space for 10 years. So I think it will end up looking a bit Miss Havisham in time, which I have already stated is sort of part of the whole process because preserved flowers are a joy and what I also love about them is the fact that they do gradually over the years change their character and colour and that is all part of their journey like all of us in life.
1: Absolutely. And you are making a distinction? I haven't heard the term preserved flowers. I've always thought of them as dried flowers so there's a well, distinction.
0: Well there are a few techniques so we can dry them by hanging them upside down or burying them in sand or silica gel. We yeah. can also use things like glycerine to help so some preserved foliage in particular is better if it's there's a a mixture of water and glycerine and you stand the plant material into it when it's in its cut fresh form and as it draws up the glycerine it starts to just gradually hydrate the cells of the plant material so it's never as dry and brittle and they retain a little bit of their original character
1: right and then they'll retain more of their color as well won't they yes yes so one of the things I am really interested in, in terms of the gardening world, as well as the, the mental health benefits, obviously, which we'll come on to, is around sustainability and diversity, the, the sort of decolonisation stuff that's becoming much more, well, we're becoming more aware of it. It's, it's becoming something that is, is in the atmosphere really now. And I wonder where you are with that, how you, how you feel about it. I know you've just done a display, haven't you, with the Garden Museum, which was all about sustainability.
0: It was all about, actually this year it was at the Garden Museum, it was for British Flowers Week, and it was all about health and well-being and sustainability, and really just recognising the fact that our gardens are incredible resources for those of us that are fortunate to have our own, mm. or if we're able to access public parks and gardens and places like the RHS Wisley, just just to be able to be amongst nature. And I live in London, you live in Oxfordshire, you're lucky you can go for a fairly short walk and be amongst countryside, rural, gorgeousness of trees and greenery. And for me, I live in South London where it's, I'm lucky, We. I live in a street with front and back gardens, but I also have a workroom in Camberwell where there are lots and lots of high rise social housing with not a lot of greenery around.
1: So what do you think The the messages around that. I we before we started recording, we were getting a bit political, weren't we? Around gardens.
0: So it is so challenging, and I think there is so much money thrown at so many incredible projects, creating vast housing schemes. But it has been reassuring. I mean, where my workroom is is just up the road from Elephant and Castle in South London, and actually they have created the most incredible pocket parks all throughout their new housing development and i sit in the traffic as i drive to meetings and look across and there is the most exquisite planting amongst these new Mm. blocks of of social housing that have been built so i do feel there is an acknowledgement and and an awareness of the benefits of adding in green spaces but my worry about it is there's nothing very community based about it everybody moves into an area where there's a green space that's managed by the management company yes so there isn't a lot of investment and ownership by the community and I think that's the sadness because I've also been lucky enough to work on one or two projects with the RHS where some of their gardens from Chelsea Flasher have been repurposed and one of them is in Angel Town in Brixton, near where I work, and I was involved with them as an outreach programme before the garden even went to Angel Town, and we just turned up to this really desolate square where there were a couple of broken swings and a slide, and some fences that were half broken down, some very neglected flower beds, and it was a really sad, depressing area, onto which a lot of houses overlooked. And they were trying to get some feeling and sense of community. And there's an incredible guy who was there who was doing some gardening with a lot of the local youngsters. He had some of the school kids there. And we went along just with a load. It was in the spring. We had a whole load of anemones and tulips and daffodils, all lovely British seasonal fares. And we just set up a table and started making bunches and giving them to people as they walked past. Oh, and how the lovely. The engagement was magnificent. And I've continued to, to be involved with them and was there when the RHS garden was relocated there. And it's been fascinating to see. And talking to youngsters who were really strong struggling for a lot of reasons um because of some family issues and just the environment within which they were being brought up meant that they didn't have much exposure to nature to growing to gardening and all the add-ons and the benefits and there was one young guy who had been inspired to go to catering college purely from seeing herbs being grown within that garden square well that's amazing to find that something like that can can become life-changing
1: absolutely absolutely and and we need we need a lot of it we need a lot more of it and i'm thinking about i was walking in ealing recently i know exactly what you mean about the, the managed space, the space that's been put there and it looks lovely and there are trees and planters and and not too municipal planting, you know, planting that mm-hmm. is, is better than municipal but will still stay looking good without too much maintenance. But not a lot of life not and a lot, not lot, a lot of, of engagement.
0: Not a lot of soul. Yes. And I... I almost want to do a bit of guerrilla gardening and rush around with some lettuce plants and some tomatoes and a a few random runner beans and sweet peas and just stuff them in amongst all those slightly predictable shrubs and trees, all of which are very beautiful, but just a little bit soulless. And The the engagement that you get from seeing a lettuce grow, from watching a tomato develop is massive. I mean, I know myself, the moment the weather's warmer and things start sprouting and growing in my garden, I can't wait to be out there. Where just sit, I'm you know, I'm happy to watch it through the window.
1: I know, and I sort of I get quite blameful with myself about that. I think I really ought to want to be out there and doing and and I just don't. No. That that the growth needs to be happening. Yes. In order to I don't know, we had that wonderful whoosh, didn't we? Didn't and now we? it's all slowed down again.
0: It's slowed down in the All that rain meant that every single slug and snail has made a beeline for my beds and it is just, I'm fighting a real war of attrition at the moment and unfortunately slugs and snails are winning. They take out a row of lettuce every night it's very- oh
1: my goodness have you tried nematodes
0: i've got never slugs in i've got eggshells i've got wool i have tried it all i'm afraid i go out there at night with a pair of scissors now
1: oh you cut them in half i put them in the stream. <laughs> <laughs> collect them with t- with a pair of tongs, and then sort of find my way rather delicately in the dark down to the stream and and throw them in which i sort of wonder whether the ducks might then yeah I don't know, So during lockdown, obviously the majority of what you do is events-based, displays, parties, weddings, all the things that we haven't been able to do. I'm imagining that that meant that work became very, very slow. And I and I saw you doing your lovely pottering around your garden, chatting on Instagram.
0: Yes, it was. I mean, in March when we were put into lockdown, I watched the business that I spent. 25 years creating and that employed 14 people just run like sand through my fingers. It just disappeared literally almost overnight. All the work stopped. And randomly I was actually on my way out to film in Los Angeles for a TV show that I've been working on out there. So I was in an extraordinary position where I was in Hollywood in a suite in a hotel, having been flown out very comfortably and was it was all the hair, makeup, given the script, here you are, I'm presenting, I'm the host and one of three judges on this competition. So that was very unreal and fabulous. And at the same time, I'm having to send, send emails to my brilliant, brilliant team, who some of whom have been with me for 20 years, to say, I think I might have to make redundant so that was awful and I was able to park some of it whilst I was in LA and then I returned back to the UK just as we went into a proper this is a lockdown, you must now all stay at home and so that was just a devastating period in my life Mm. and for about three weeks I would come into my office each day and just sit sort of desolately at my desk and then actually we were lucky we had great weather suddenly Yes. so I decided I was going to stay home, and I was in the garden. And I just started pottering and pootling about. And I've always done a little bit on Instagram. And then I was starting, I thought, oh, I'm going to sow my tomato plants. or oh, I'm going to sow my sweet peas. And I thought, oh, I might make a little video of it and put it on Instagram. And it got such engagement, and actually, it eventually developed into what we called the Lyset Lives. And they were at 3.30 every Monday to Friday. And I did them, I think, March through to September. And it absolutely saved me. And it's quite hard not to cry talking about it now because actually it meant that I had to go and brush my hair, wax my moustache, put on some proper clothes, go out into the garden and do a bit of what I do, a bit of presenting and a bit of Mm. me. And it gave me a discipline and a purpose and a bit of sense of, of having created something each day. And it was as absolutely almost life-saving for me because it it meant I was able to feel that I had a bit of a need and a purpose. And lots of people have been amazed. I mean, I get a letter probably every week from people telling me how much they enjoyed it, how entertaining it was, how much help they found it. And I always reply saying, well, you all helped me as much as I was helping you.
1: Yeah, I can hear just how much you found a way to do what you do. Yes. To be that.
0: And we're, we're so... It was incredible, the community that was built through social media, through lockdown, in lots of different areas, but within gardening and horticulture in particular. And I've always known, since I was seven, that I wanted to work with flowers and plants. I went to an RHS-affiliated flower show. And it was what made me want to be a florist. And so I've always felt that horticulturalists, gardeners, people into plants and flowers were my tribe. And so it was really lovely to be able to just connect with them and be with them, even though we couldn't be with one another. And it was great to be able to be out in my garden. I'd say my garden looked a whole lot better last year than it does this year, which is testament to the fact that there is a tiny bit of work around at the moment, which is why my garden is looking a little bit neglected in comparison to last year. And to be honest, I would have it thus forevermore.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And it's tricky, that, that balance, isn't it, of creating a garden and wanting to be on top of it and yet needing to live life. And, and the irony, oh, for those of us who talk about gardens, for yeah. a living, and plants and flowers for a living. There is that irony of, uh, you know, couples, children, and shoes.
0: And, and yes, it's, it's 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 strange because if I'm not careful, I get a bit wound up by how my garden isn't looking as perfect as I would like it to be. Mm-hmm. I was talking to someone when I was at Hilltop today, and she said I've decided that we have to have weed blinkers. And I thought that was such a brilliant phrase because she said, you go to other people's gardens, you never look at the weeds, you always look and see the beauty. When you're in your own garden, you always look at the weeds, the things that are wrong. She said, we need weed blinkers so that when you're in your own space, you can just sit back and relax and enjoy what you're creating and not get too worked up about it.
1: Absolutely. And and focus on the on the positives rather than the negatives.
0: Exactly. Exactly. I've
1: been, I've been working.
0: That so- was exactly what I did last year. I mean, sowing seeds was one of the most life-affirming, future-giving things I could do last year, and it was just Mm. amazing to do it, and so, so rewarding.
1: Absolutely, and so hopeful. We don't sow seeds if we don't think there's a future. No,
0: exactly, exactly. None of us would garden if we thought there was no future, we're always planting for tomorrow, aren't
1: we? It's a funny thing, though. I, I don't know, there's this action of planting. I don't know about you, but I find that the very action of putting my hands in the soil... I have a greenhouse and I keep a box of compost there and I pop things on and and sometimes things get potted on that probably could do with a bit longer just because I need to do it
0: yes oh, absolutely. There's,
1: a, there's a visceral thing going on in me that's uncomfortable and I need to to do something with my hands that connects me with the soil and the emotions and the feelings
0: absolutely absolutely I'm exactly the same my husband could tell all of last year whenever I'd had another ghastly email that meant something awful had happened work-wise I would just go out and lose myself and spend an hour only a little small London garden which is you know it's, it's not rolling acres but it was somewhere I would able to go and as you say that being able to get your hands plunge your hands into compost plunge your hands into soil and just reconnect with nature and earth and all of that that's there is is absolutely life-affirming and essential for me.
1: Absolutely. So I think there's a lot more to it, is what I'm saying, obviously. I I think you agree.
0: (laughs) I I think that there's more and more research coming, and I think there will be increasing research. And we all know, as gardeners, the benefits of being in our gardens, and whether we want to go out and in fury weed a patch, or in contemplation and joy pick a few sweet peas, or tie in some. We know the benefits to our own mental well-being and our own health. And I think there's more and more research now to show that it is Absolutely beneficial and, and pretty essential, really. I was and going to say crucial. We just need, you know, schools to make sure that gardening becomes part of the curriculum.
1: And going back to the inner cities where there is not a, there are not enough trees and not enough sort of informal spaces. Do you know Sarah Limbach? Yes. yes. Sarah Len, yeah. Gorilla Gardening, yes. and Edible, edible yes. Bristol. and yeah. That's so wonderful, that work that she's doing with people, and it sounds like that's similar to what you're doing in in your neighbourhood.
0: I was asked by um, someone to give an interview on Simon's London for, for a thing, and one of the questions I was asked was, if I was mayor for the day, what would I make legal? And I said gardening and growing, anywhere and everywhere, just whatever, just everybody at the bottom of a tree on your street, you have permission dig up some of the soil and plant some other things. Don't just have that boring old tree that everybody walks past and that the dog pees up. Create gardens, create growing spaces that engage people so that everybody feels invested in it and wants to be part of it, rather than walking past it like street furniture.
1: Absolutely. Have you come across the pothole gardener?
0: Yes, I love those photographs, aren't they? Isn't that
1: wonderful?
0: Brilliant.
1: Oh, incredible. Absolutely, just wonderful. (laughs) little break in the conversation to tell you about my garden coaching and design business growthfully which sponsors these podcasts because i'm passionate about sharing the love guiding and supporting other women to make the most of that precious space outside your door I help people go from feeling disappointed and frustrated with their outdoor space to creating a relationship with it in which they feel confident and satisfied. Instead of looking out the window and feeling sad, I can help you step outside into a place that lifts your heart, all without taking over. I offer a collaboration. I share my skills with you through coaching and design packages. And I'd love to help you. So if this sounds interesting, please visit www.growthfully.co.uk to find out more. I can't wait to help you. Tell us about being a judge in Los Angeles and how that came about and and what it was like. Because it looks, as you say, it's all very glamorous. I wonder what the actual experience is like. And, And had you been doing that before lockdown or was it completely affected by lockdown?
0: I was approached probably. Well, are we in 2021? We are. So in 2019, I was approached so probably the sort of middle of 2019. I got a direct message on Instagram asking me if I might like to be involved in a new TV show on floristry being made, and uh-huh, that's incredible. And <laughs> so I responded in a slightly sort of, uh, oh, <laughs> "Would you like to email me the details?" So they emailed back, and it was a competitive floristry show, and I thought, oh, there's no way I want to be a competitor in a floristry show. So I emailed back, and they said, oh, no, 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 we want you to be one of the judges. (laughs) In fact, we'd like you to be the host and one of the judges. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I thought, well, do you know what? Because for years, I've done floristry on TV. I did the Alan Titchmarsh show on ITV every afternoon for eight years. And so I've done lots and lots of daytime TV and various bits and pieces across different channels And lots of people say, Oh my God, it's brilliant. Why don't you have a show? It would be great to have a sort of floral equivalent of bake-off. Yeah. And so for years, production companies have been trying to get something to happen. And I must have filmed eight or 10 different. They're called sizzles or pilots. So, yeah, tiny tasters yeah. that get sent to commissioners. Nothing's ever come of any of them. So, I thought, well, this will go in exactly that same way. But, you know, I'll, I always think I'll keep banging that floral drum. And then I was asked, could I have a Skype meeting? So, I had loads. This is before we all got used to Zoom. This is pre lockdown in 2019. So I was asked, would I do a Skype call? So I had a Skype call with this girl who was from a casting agency. And we got on and we chatted. And then I had one Skype call with someone from a production company, lovely Australian guy. And at the end of it, he said, well, yeah, we would like to offer you this role as the host and judge on the show. And I'm just like, What? You'd come out to LA, you'd come out to Hollywood, and we would film it, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just thinking, this is ridiculous. <laughs> and so I thought, well, I'll wait till the airline ticket's in my hot, sweaty palm before I really believe it's happening. But before I knew where I was, it was all, there was a contract sent over, and it was signed, and I was, so I flew out in February of 2020, and we started filming, and then really we had to stop okay. because of lockdown. Um, yeah. So I flew yeah. back the UK so we had started filming and it's a 10 episode there are 10 florists and it's over eight episodes and we'd filmed two and a half episodes and we eliminate a florist after at the end of each episode we'd filmed two and a half episodes and then we had to stop because of Covid so I returned to the UK and then I got a call in June saying we're going to start Restart filming in July, and I said oh, okay. And there's a travel ban, so I wasn't going to be allowed into America. But I work in America, so I have a zero one visa, which means I'm allowed to work, and I'm sponsored by the production company. So they were able to get their lawyers to apply for a travel ban waiver. So I was able to go. I had to. I flew out 13 hours on a plane in a mask. Is not a lot of fun, but no. nurses have spent and doctors have spent much longer in masks. So I'm not going to complain about that. And I arrived and then I had two weeks of quarantining in my hotel room where I literally was allowed out for one hour a day. Um, And and I had a kapok tree outside my window and it became my friend and it became the thing that I would post about on Instagram because there wasn't a lot of greenery in my view. But this kapok tree was amazing with its trunk that looks like a dinosaur and these incredible pods that look like a big mango that burst open and spread fluff everywhere. So that was quite interesting. And I had two weeks of quarantining and then I was let out. And then they delayed filming by another two weeks. So I had a month in LA, but used to just wander around the streets of Hollywood. I was in a sort of... Burbank is the neighbourhood I stayed in. And unbelievably beautiful gardens. Oh, beautiful beyond belief gardens where rose would be growing next to a fruiting orange tree, next to a tree fern, next to the most amazing Scots pine. All in one garden, all thriving. Just amazing. amazing. Incredible climate, so fascinating. And then suddenly we started filming, resumed filming, and got a whole season done a whole series done and I flew back to the UK at the beginning of September and then it was released in Thanksgiving holiday time in America so sort of in that sort of November, December time And went well because in January they said we'd like to do season two. So I flew back out in March and we shot for five weeks, very succinct. So I flew out. I didn't have to quarantine for more than three days. I was tested every step of the way. And whilst we're out there, we are kept in a bubble and we are tested every two days. And we filmed season two. And that launched, I think, two weeks ago. And it is alleged that we might be being nominated for some Emmy which is and very I saw
1: that. indeed. Yes, I saw that on your Instagram. How amazing.
0: And the excitement is, because it's only, at the moment, it's only viewable in America and Canada on HBO yeah. Max and HBO Max Pop, but... It is now being trailed on Channel 4, E4 and More 4 so it is coming to the UK soon.
1: Oh, wonderful. Yes, because you need it to land here, don't you? This is where you live. It needs it to be. Is.
0: It yes. is. I think I need it to land here. I'm also slightly nervous of everybody now knowing who I am.
1: Yes, and you don't you're not someone who isn't distinctive. That's a double negative, but you know what I mean. I know you The face
0: masks is <laughs> quite useful at the moment. Because yes. Like they hide the ridiculous moustache. Yes.
1: That's an incredible story from one Instagram
0: DM. Yes, exactly. You never know, do you? And
1: I love your modesty that they thought you wanted to be a, you, that they that they wanted you to be a contestant.
0: <laughs> I mean, it, it was, I mean, it, I still find it extraordinary that I'm the host of an international TV show and a judge on it. I find that really extraordinary. I've worked in TV, wanted to do more TV for years and years. I presented a documentary for BBC a few years ago where I flew out to Kenya to film and look at roses being grown but this is i mean it's a it's you have to be really careful what you wish for because it's absolutely what i've always wished for i'm so lucky
1: oh how amazing and you mentioning the 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 roses in kenya actually brings me on to something else i wanted to ask you about which was a which is a sustainability within floristry because obviously though these amazing displays that you create how do you square that how do you work with that because it's obvious to me talking to you that you really are passionate about the environment and well-being and then there are these amazing displays of flowers that presumably some people take things home don't they but
0: they do i mean and, and a lot of the flowers that we use have been imported so they've flown a few miles and nearly every client of mine really doesn't want British flowers. They don't want seasonal flowers. That's not their look. That's not their jam. And yeah. I've always said I'm a floral prostitute. I do what people pay me to do. Um, and whilst hi. my personal taste is loving something that I've cut, you know, the six stems of sweet peas I might be able to cut from my garden yeah. this evening, yeah. That that's not my client's taste. And it's not what will earn me the living that my team and I are used to earning from working on large-scale events with abundant flowers that come from all over the world, mostly via Holland still. But a lot of them, there's loads and loads of different conversations. And if we wanted to only ever have British flowers in the UK, so many of them would have to be grown in heated greenhouses. And so many of them would have to be grown with so much heat and light that actually the benefits of not driving them very far, not transporting them very far, would potentially be outweighed by the carbon emissions, the footprint of all the heating and lighting that is required to grow them in the first place. And also, if I ship flowers from Holland, they haven't travelled as far as if I ship them down from growers in the north of Scotland. And an enormous truck, will, an enormous truck, will come from Holland with flowers that will be able to service lots of people's demands, whereas one truck would come from Holland with flowers for me because who else would happen to be buying flowers from from Scotland at that that time? So it's, it's a very difficult situation. It's really hard to square it because in Northern Europe, we aren't very good at growing flowers without heating and lighting. In Kenya, roses grow like weeds. They thrive, they love it. They are amazing horticulturalists. I've been out there, I've seen it. The way they grow roses is incredible. A lot of them are now fair trade, so they are grown without a whole load of chemical intervention, with sustainable harvested water that is used, irrigated, and then reharbested and reused and re-irrigated. So there is a whole new breed of growers out around the world that are growing in a much more responsible, sustainable manner, that are giving employment to people who would otherwise potentially not have employment. And the air miles of flying the flowers, a lot of them come, generally speaking, in the hold of a passenger plane. They're not all flown on cargo planes. So it is a very, very difficult situation. And I don't know how we will ever be able to really, truly change that situation until everybody realizes that If you want something totally and purely seasonal, it really, really limits your choice. And I mean, I have an organic veg box scheme each week and I love it. My favorite passion after flowers is cooking. And so my joy is the fact I get this random box of veg that I have to think of things to do with each Mm. week. But even I... By the middle of March, I'm a bit bored of Swede and red cabbage, because that's what there is then. And so I'm always excited when the first courgettes have arrived. And I know that they're transported by land from an organic grower in Italy. But even so, they've still had, you know, there is a repercussion for having the treat of a courgette. So I just do not know how we are ever going to to be able to really change it until we change people's behaviours. And we can do things that I try, small steps. So we try to avoid using floral foam wherever possible because that's not great for the environment. It's also horrid to work with. We try as far as possible to repurpose plants that we use. We work alongside the Royal Marsden. The Trinity Hospice, Thrive, the gardening charity and Floral Angels to try and reuse flowers and plants from events to give a little bit more joy to people for a few more days. But it just is really challenging. And unfortunately, the events world is an incredibly waste generating industry. Mm. But it's also an industry that brings in millions of tax dollars each year, ordinarily, and employs hundreds of thousands of people. And gives a lot of joy. And gives masses of joy. Yes, Sarah, thank you. That is so important is, you know, the joy that it gives. And in the same way as gosh, isn't it lovely, just sometimes to eat a ridiculously beautiful piece of steak or lobster or something I don't want to do it every day but those little moments are what make life magical and in a way that's what the floral industry does on the events in the events world is we're those little sparky moments of joy in people's lives mm. I couldn't ever deny anybody that
1: it's so interesting isn't it because there's this question around everything in our lives really mm. this how do we square it's good in some ways it's not good in others yes Everyone. what are we going to do about a world that the climate is obviously changing you know we're experiencing that yes how how are we going to how are we going to deal with it
0: how are we I mean all of a sudden we're all going to have to start and grow different things we're going to have to live in a different way houses now need to be built with air conditioning or with different types of um, windows and shuttering so that people can he- keep heat in or heat out. It's It's extraordinary. The whole world needs to change. And we're just so bad at accepting change. And also, it's so difficult because if we each as individuals do these tiny steps, then you look at what's happening by large international companies that deliver to us on a daily basis that we all use, but still we're aware of how damaging what they're doing is. As I drive from home into the flower market at five o'clock in the morning, I must be passed by... 10 white vans, all with a delivery logo on, all coming from a central depot. And the carbon footprint of that alone that didn't even exist as a thing five years ago is now massive. And yet we all buy into it. And, you know, there's very few people in the country that don't submit and do that lovely, convenient press on the order, order it and get it delivered
1: yeah, yeah. yes it's very uh, there's so many layers to all of this aren't there so many so many layers hmm I think we might have I missed anything don't
0: think
1: so <laughs> I don't think so either it's been lovely talking with you I've really
0: enjoyed it it has been absolutely fabulous thank you so so much for having me I'm thrilled and delighted and excited to know that I am the first male interviewee you have had.
1: Ah, yes! And I did puzzle over that. I've tended to talk to women because, well, I suppose my experience around mental health and gardening and well-being, and the way in which gardening has supported me, and in and creating gardens of my own and with clients. So there's something about the women's experience that is that I want to bring out, and that has been my my emphasis on women really. And it's lovely to talk to you too. Well, um,
0: it's- It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I employ all women, bar one other man in my company, and I employ mostly women freelance florists, and... I was at RHS this morning and it was spectacular. Sue Biggs, who I know you've interviewed. Yes. What a powerhouse. Incredible. And almost every single person that she acknowledged for having been so incredible within the RHS in achieving the new Hilltop Centre was a woman. And so I think our niche of flowers, floristry, growing, gardening, horticulture is an incredibly female strong industry where it is spectacular to see that there is a level of parity is the wrong word, equal respect, you know, all... The gardeners and horticulturalists that I consider heroes in my lives are actually heroines and goddesses, because they are all women. Oh,
1: that's interesting. I'm just thinking as you're talking that there isn't really a playing field within design yet. If you look at the sort of role of designers at something like Chelsea or Hampton Court, there is still a male...
0: Is it still a male-dominated world? Still,
1: melanate, still male-dominated world.
0: I'm thinking of Sarah Eberle, and I'm thinking of... Of... Yeah, there
1: are women designers, but yeah. they're just not as many. Not as many. Um, no, and I was I was catching a conversation this morning that was on Instagram. Dermot Gavin. Yeah. Had the, did it, I don't know if you caught this? He was doing an IGTV. He sits and he chats to camera. Yeah. I think it's with his son, and he was talking about the RHS, and he was talking about. The lack of diversity actually rather than yeah. women particularly but he was talking about black black people and diverse representation there and the difficulty that it is,
0: it is so difficult and it's the same in the floristry world and I sit on the statutory committee of New Covent Garden Flower Market and it's something that we are desperately trying to encourage more people from every background to want to explore the options and possibilities of working within floristry New Covent Garden Flower Market as wholesalers any of that and it just is very very challenging and I don't know what the answer is I really truly don't
1: I wonder what's going on. that people. I, th- I think there's something very truthful about the idea that if you don't see people doing something who look like you and are like you, then it's hard to imagine yourself doing that. Absolutely. And to feel welcome in Absolutely.
0: that. And I think that that is why I have always been so lucky. I knew I was gay all of my life. It was something that was still not accepted in my youth, my childhood and youth. And I have always been so lucky to have the support within the floristry world, within the horticultural world of people that I could quite clearly see were me in years to come were gay men, gay women, straight men, straight women who had an understanding of my sensitivities and my viewpoint and that was really what I meant when you know at seven I found my tribe because I was able to be amongst people that I felt were like me in so many ways. I could see me in them and they perhaps saw a bit of them in me and so I've always been so so lucky to have, have had that support but I do totally understand and it's strange because it came not from family at all it came from people who I now call my flower family and who mm. are some of whom I still work with now
1: mm. and yet that's not that same thing isn't happening no for people of different background different colour
0: it isn't different perhaps. ethnicity and I don't know how to make a difference and it's really hard and I sometimes speak at RHS days for career career day and things, because there's always amazing, incredible opportunities for work within the whole sphere of horticulture, from being a groundsman or a forensic botanist to a grave digger or a hard landscaper or a florist, and a million other roles in between. And there's always incredible opportunities and job employment Options there but it's really really hard to get any engagement unless you get hold of youngsters when they're young yes really really difficult talking to kids that are in there 16 17 18 you'll find the odd one in amongst the class that will be interested in what you're talking about but most of them they simply do not want to work in any job that involves being out in the cold, in the wet, in the rain, dirty hands, not with a computer, not with a device, it's it's strange and it's hard and it's frustrating.
1: So that's that that points to the getting to them young, doesn't it, as you said? Absolutely. Absolutely. Getting to my, them husband,
0: and... my husband used to be a head teacher at a primary school in Stoke Newington and they were lucky enough to have a school garden, but they only had a school garden because I was partly involved in helping give plants from previous jobs. And they had a couple of members of staff who were into it and and into gardening. And then they had some PTA funds who helped support it. But unless that happens, It's not something that is widespread because it doesn't become, it's not something that the government consider should be on the curriculum. But for everybody's mental health and well-being, there should be outdoor classroom time every single day for every single child.
1: I agree completely. And I think, I mean, I'm hoping there's some hope. If you think about uh, forest school now, when my kids were school at school when were young, there was no such thing. You couldn't take your kids to the to the woods as a way of going to nursery school, it didn't exist. No. And now it does. So, yes. you know, hopefully yes, but- things are were- We're becoming more aware, aren't we?
0: I hope so. I hope so. And I think that's one thing that this last year has taught all of us is, golly, the value of just being able to walk outside and be amongst a bit of nature was manifold, wasn't it?
1: Absolutely. Oh, my God. And when you talk about, it was very moving here, and you talk about your, was it Kapok tree? Yes. Yes, outside your window in Los Angeles. And it it reminded me of Sue Stewart Smith's book, The Well-Gardened Mind, where she talks about research into into people in hospitals and how being able to see a tree yes. from their bed makes all the difference. And ob- it's so obvious, isn't
0: it? isn't it? It is obvious, but then you still see, I mean, I still see blocks of houses being built. I'm talking to you now from my railway arch, and behind us used to be some deserted tennis courts on an estate of social housing. And the tennis courts have now gone, and huge high-rise Blocks of flats are being built, which is fabulous because people do need housing. But they've been built on what were basically two pocket parks that were green spaces where no one did much other than walk their dog or occasionally a child might kick a ball about. But it was some greenery and they've now gone. Yes, in the process, and that is just so sad because in an area where we needed a bit more, we've got a bit less. Yes.
1: Yeah, I mean, we could go on for, ha- for hours. We what could. We could. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna mention one more thing before we stop, which is I was very horrified to hear recently that they've taken. I haven't seen this, but apparently the trees have gone from in front of St Pancras Station. Not St Pancras. Euston. In
0: front station. of Euston. Yes, they have. I think. I mean, I think there's lots of talk in various schemes of them being replanted wanted. But, yeah, I mean, it will, and we know that they're going to be replanted with one of those very nice, very beautifully managed areas of planting that we've already talked about, that will yes. have no soul and no spirit.
1: Yes, and no age. Those right. trees are huge, yes. and they've been there for, forever.
0: Yes. It's yes. very
1: heartbreaking, really. Because
0: I hate seeing a tree being felled. It's very Yeah, sad. yeah.
1: Oh, well, thank you, Simon, very, very much for coming and chatting with me. I've really enjoyed it.
0: It has been a pleasure. I hope the train's thundering over overhead have not disturbed the ducks that i know are outside your door awaiting
1: (laughs) i can't hear your your trains at all and my ducks are not currently here
0: (laughs) Uh, it's been lovely to chat thank you for having me
1: my pleasure thank you for coming gosh there was a lot to talk about and i felt as if simon and i could have gone on for hours i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did Links to anything we mentioned are in the show notes, which are on my website at www.growthfully.co.uk. And you can find us both on Instagram. Simon is at Simon Lycett, and I'm at Growthfully. You can also currently watch Simon on Full Bloom, airing on More 4, and visit his website at simonlycett.co.uk. The flowers there are amazing. please take a moment to subscribe, rate and review. It helps others find the conversations and I do a happy dance every time I know you've enjoyed it. That's it for today. I look forward to chatting
0: soon.